0: Someone comes in and you're kind of working with them on a weight loss program, and maybe, maybe you weigh them every time they come in, and they've gained four pounds. So you be like, "It's okay. Like we're gonna do this. Like that's not that's not transparent. Transparent is like something's not going on. Mm -hmm. Like what's what's not working right now? Let's figure this out. And maybe we'll talk. uh, But one of my big things is um, what and hows. Mm -hmm. So you don't you never ask why. Why is this not working? Right. Now I'm accusing yeah, right, you exactly. and now I'm trying to figure out your motives and you're all this like, but what, what, what is not working right now? How can we improve this? What and how never? Not. We are here because we know the outcomes in our lives are
1: within our control. That taking absolute ownership of how we eat, sleep, train, think, and connect with each other is how we'll optimize our health and happiness. That chasing excellence is how we grab hold of what is possible. Our mission is to live on the run, always chasing, never stopping. Hello. Patrick, what's up? How are you, sir? I'm good. Today we are going to talk about uh, a big subject, and I think it's one that people are really going to like, and it's going to be coaching strategies or sort of uh, what you've come to learn about coaching, Hmm. right? Um, So I think this is going to be a a little bit of a long one, but hopefully one that people get a lot out of. before we dive into it, a big thanks to our sponsor, Noble. We're gonna hear from them later uh, about how they are chasing excellence. But for now, um, this this idea of coaching strategy, and it's, and it's one that's sort of like, it, it was an idea that you had, and as soon as you did, I was like, yes, let's definitely dive into that. And uh, as we've talked about a little, a little bit in terms of like, well, what is this conversation actually about? It seems that there are sort of two ends uh, or two sort of roads that we can go down. And I think hopefully we can get down both of them today. Uh, the first one is um, maybe for a, a lack of a better term, sort of a philosophical conversation about coaching, um, what it looks like, how you've come to think about it, and then the other one is the tactical conversation about how do you uh, and we'll use we'll use your experience in the gym primarily, but I think uh, there's going to be a lot of carryover for coaches in. Uh, various sports or whomever would consider themselves a coach. Um, but we'll use the tactics of, uh, of what you've learned about how to get the most out of athletes in the gym. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think those will be the sort of the two sort of goalposts that we're going to go um, between. But let's start with the philosophical one. Um, what, what have you seen? What are the, the really big high level things that you've learned about what makes a good coach a good coach? Um, where do you even begin to think about where I am today and where I want to be in a year or five years or 10 years. Like where, where is, what's, what's like step one?
0: Okay. I think for probably step one is defining what a coach is. Mm -hmm. And to me, a coach is somebody whose primary objective is to get someone else better. So that falls into a lot of different, all of a sudden, a lot of things come into the coaching realm, like parents and managers. Those are all coaches. So it's not just like, athletics, it's um, if you're you're trying to help someone read better or study for SATs, you're a coach. If you're trying to get a child to develop to their full potential, you're a coach. If you're a manager in an organization trying to bring up a salesperson or a young aspiring marketing person, you're a coach. So coach is a broad term that we kind of throw out purposefully because I think everyone in a lot of different positions are coaches. A coach is not someone that just because you're in a leadership position or it says coach on the back of your shirt or anything else. So the first thing we have to kind of identify is um, what are some like defining characteristics of different levels of, of coaching? And this is kind of like John Maskell X, which we might have talked about before. Yeah. But like the beginning to me is um, the lowest level of a coach is a person that thinks that they're in charge of others and their authority relies in their position. If you are only, if people only have buy in, if people are only listening to you because you are their manager, you are their parent, or you are their quote unquote coach, you have no real coaching. They're Mm -hmm. forced to do it. And these coaches, leaders, lead in fear. And it's um, everything that they give is second guessed by the receiving party. Mm If you say lead in fear, do you mean that they lead? Um, uh, they're afraid. Okay, that so they're in fear. They're it's not afraid
1: that the person they're coaching is is no. scared of them and whatever.
0: What I mean by that is the person that is giving the coaching is in fear. Gotcha. They're afraid of losing their job. They're afraid of the person they're coaching being better than them. So we see this in our world in CrossFit. Yeah. Coaches that are like their worst fear is that their athletes jump them on the leaderboard. That's the exact by definition. If that's the way you look at it, you're a level one coach. Mm-hmm. Now. There's nothing wrong with being a level one coach as long as you recognize you're a level one coach. If you don't recognize you're a level one coach, you can't grow beyond that and you will always be stuck there. And everyone you're coaching is going to second guess everything you're telling them. They're not gonna absorb it. They're not gonna, um, it's not nothing that, none of the pointers, none of the tips, none of the tactics, none of the strategies that you give them are going to um, manifest themselves in the athlete. It's all gonna be I don't I like they they're not going to buy in. And that's what we're trying to do is build this trust and this buy in. So um
1: before you go in uh just that idea of like uh as long as you know that that's where you are, yeah. you can grow. Is there a way to to like is there a something that somebody can say how, you know, am I that or am I not that?
0: Yeah, the um, or is it
1: it just like a a, you just know it or you don't? It's
0: not like a it's not like written on your resume, right? It's not one of those things, but it's an awareness level. It's um and the 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 kind of awareness is like have you moved to step number two? Mm -hmm. And step number two is based off of relationships, and that's why. It doesn't mean you need to like go out and have coffee with these people. It doesn't mean you need to be invited to their birthday party. What it means is you have to have a level of trust established between the coach and the athlete to where the athlete believes, and this is the definition of level two the athlete believes that the coach has their best interest at heart. Mm -hmm. If that's the case, now all of a sudden, when we give feedback, they'll buy into it, they'll believe it, they understand that. That they're giving me this only because they want me to be better. And that's a really kind of low barrier for a right, coach. like. Right. But that's a big one. It's a big hurdle for a lot of first-time coaches to get past that first one. Get over the fact that like your athletes should be better than you. Like no coach in the NBA could beat anyone one-on-one. Right. The coach is not supposed to be the athlete. So everyone in our sports should kind of like really quickly like – paradigm shift get over that fact be a coach not an athlete Mm -hmm. then from there what do you really really want what do you really really feel when the athlete does better than you in a workout do you really feel good about it or is there kind of and that's your litmus test for are you level two now what we want to do is get past level two and get to this bigger thing which is level three which is um that you've created results for people you know, and it's great to have relationships and be this fun guy and real connecting with people and a people person and all that. But more so what we need to do is, on, I shouldn't say more so, but on top of that, once you are all, once you get people to buy in and trust you, you got to have some ability to, to deliver. And that is results. Have you gotten people sub three minute France? Have you gotten people to lose hundred pounds? Have you gotten people to run marathons? Have you gotten people to regionals in the games? Have you gotten, um, you know, um, whatever it might be, you know, the the results, right? And if you do that, then the next person that walks in can really quickly look around and see like, oh, this person delivers results. Maybe they know what they're talking about. There's a lot of tactics that people put in place to make this happen. You see it in division one colleges. They put up all their division, all their uh, first round draft picks. They put up the Heisman trophy winners. They display the trophies. So when people come into their program, they really quickly can see this place produces results. I should trust what they're saying. Mm-hmm. It's not just. Yep. What we really want to do though is build results for that individual. And that's when we become kind of the higher level of coaching. When you deliver results, when they trust you and you deliver results for that person, let's say you get them a sub three minute frame. Let's say you get them to um, put 10 more pull-ups on their unbroken pull-ups. You get them to run a marathon under three hours. You get them to lose hundred pounds. You get them off diabetes medication. All of a sudden when you give them that next piece of advice, the likelihood that they buy in goes way, they're not gonna be second guessing it. Right. You know, if, if I coach you for five, six months a year and I deliver incredible results for you and all of a sudden I have this little pointer for you on your next thing, the deadlift, you're not like, hmm, right? does he think he's better than me? <laughs> like, you're like, he yeah. wants me to be better. right? So that's kind of the idea behind this is first and foremost in terms of coaching is understanding that we have to build kind of the repertoire, build the hierarchy within ourselves, of where we stand and it goes yeah you're a coach great good for you you got hired as a coach doesn't count for much then okay let people to trust you and buy into you can you deliver results for other people once you do that i think you do the results for that individual once you do that for a lot of people now all of a sudden the cycle starts to go
1: um staying in the gym for a minute in in, in a crossfit gym because it's what it's, it's maybe a little bit different than everywhere else but maybe not um how do you see that playing out for like, for you, it's one thing as the owner of the gym, as um, the person responsible for building the gym, for sort of the face of the gym and, and not you specifically, but you as an owner of a CrossFit gym, yep. but now you have three or four or five or six other coaches working underneath you. Yep. Does anything change for them that was different for a person in your position? In other words, when I walk into a new gym, I'm seeing it the lance, you know, I'm seeing the landscape of, of what the gym has been able to accomplish. So that's the gym is in some level uh, or, or in some way level three. But how do you how does the individual coach who's only maybe coaching four classes a day, three classes yep. a day, uh, go up that ladder when they don't have access, when they're not the one responsible for sort of the the global,
0: okay. Yeah. Um, so two points to that. One is um you're on different levels with everybody. Yep. So you're not literally like, I'm a level three leader, right, I'm a right, level four yeah. leader. I might be a level four with people I've been working with for two years. New person walks in the gym, I'm a level one. Yeah. And I have to climb the ladder with that individual. So, but that doesn't answer your question. Um, your question is, how does that athlete my 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 gut reaction to that is there's a couple things you can do. We build in tactics into our gym management to ensure that we have an opportunity to climb the ladder i'll talk about this in a second but the bigger one is if the coach is constantly worried about that's kind of the definition of a level one Mm -hmm. but guy goes yeah but i'm not the i'm not the gym owner Mm -hmm. yeah but i only coach four classes a day yeah but you're a level one leader that's kind of what the level one leader talks about that's what they're looking at instead of like I'm in a position where I could really influence and impact these people's lives. Mm-hmm. My job is to make these people better. Now, what's the best way I can do that? First thing I do is build trust. Cause if I don't build trust, I can't coach them. Everything I say is gonna be met with. Here's an example, right? Of the kind of these levels of leadership. You are um, you're you're flying in a plane. And you sit down, and you're wearing your Rogue T-shirt. So you sit down, and the guy goes, "Oh, Rogue, you a Crossfitter?" You go, "Yeah, I'm a Crossfitter." He goes, "You know what? I'm um I'm actually a level four Crossfit coach." You're like, "Oh, that's cool, great, for, good for you." He goes, "Let me tell you something. I got this product <laughs> that'll take one minute off your Fran time tomorrow. What are you thinking?
1: Probably not. Yeah, probably not.
0: So, but why not? He's a level yeah. four Crossfit coach." Yeah. You know he's got a product that will give you take a minute off your friend time the reason is because he's a positional leader yeah. he hasn't built any trust with you right. so it's all snake oil and salesman and you're like i don't believe you that's where a lot of our coaches live in that for in perpetuity mm-hmm. they never get themselves out of that now imagine that instead of it being that guy on the airplane the total stranger that's a level four it's just your brother you call up your brother that like lives in you know five states away. You're like, hey, I've been starting CrossFit. He's like, awesome, man. You know, I've been doing it for like uh, you know six months. I got my level one, not level four. Mm-hmm. And hey, listen to this. I came across this product that'll t- take one minute off your friend time tomorrow. What are you thinking?
1: Yeah, send me the link.
0: Okay, like, yeah, like, <laughs> okay, cool. Like that's because you trust your brother. Yep. Now let's say that he's like, hey, by the way, I've done it with my affiliate and I have affiliate of hundred people, 98 of them. The next day took a minute off their friend time. What are you thinking?
1: Yeah.
0: Like, okay, because he delivered yep. results for the people. Yep. So you try it. And it takes a minute off your friend time. Now, what are you thinking?
1: Yeah, I'm telling everybody else. <laughs> yeah. And he goes, by
0: the way, I have a thing for Diane. And what are you thinking? Yeah, oh, yeah. You're like, you're in, yep. because that's the way the hierarchy goes. Yep. So I don't even remember what your question was, but essentially we, oh, I do. Oh, we have, so the individual coach, what we do is we um, put some practices in place to help expedite that process. Mm-hmm. Because that process may take for a really good coach and a really um, humble and coachable athlete, that may take three minutes to get from level one to level two. And maybe by the end of the class, you're level three or four, Mm. right? You already deliver results for someone. Other coaches and other athletes, and it depends on a lot of factors, it may take six months, six weeks, six years. You may never get there, right? So what we do is we put some things in place that will help help this, help push it along. Right. It's one of those things is our same coach, coaches the same class every single day. Mm. So you build a relationship. Now I know what people talk about. It's like, yeah, but we like for our coaches to meet everyone in the gym. Great. Imagine if the Patriots had a different Mm. coach every three weeks, Mm -hmm. like how good would the Patriots be? But they get to meet so many people on the staff. Like, yeah. yeah. And they never become good because they never get to be really deep. The saying is, I'd rather know everything about my wife. I'm sorry, I'd rather know only a few, I'd rather, I'm gonna am <laughs> this. I'd rather know just a few things about my wife than everything about marriage. Mm-hmm. It's not about knowing this big massive thing, it's about knowing a lot about the individual. Yeah. So that's one of the things we do is make sure that the coach can build a relationship yeah. over a long period of time with the same athletes. We call it 12 classes strong. We run 12 mm. classes at our gym. I always coach the 830, that's my class, that's my team. I'm gonna make that team as strong as I can. We have another coach that coaches the 930 and the 1130 and the 1230 and so on. And their responsibility is to make that class as strong as they can. Now, if we're in shift work, like there's a reason that at hospitals and um, first responders, they have 24 hour shifts because if you do that, you own it. Mm -hmm. If you're only there for a short period of time, you're always looking waiting because you know someone's gonna take it and relieve you. So you don't really buy in and build the relationships. The longer the shift, ours is forever hopefully, the more relationships you can build. The next one is, we systemize, we try to create these emotional bank account deposits. I've talked about that before, but make people feel good. And we systemize in our class. One of the easiest ones is, hearing people's names. Everyone in our class hears, the, every member in our class hears their name at least three times. When they walk in, when they walk out, and at least once during the class. Now, hopefully it's way, way, way more than that, but at least they should at least hear it three times. That that means is three times I identified you as an individual. I said your name. I f- I recognize you. There's this... um, African saying what um, when people meet in these tribes which is not hello not how are you in their language? It is I see you hmm. being seen is one of the most important human things that you can have So what we want to do is you say someone's name and by saying that it's I see you Patrick not what's up big guy They're yeah. like, okay class like yeah. that's not I see you yeah. so you gotta make people feel like you have their business at heart so there's two of a probably a handful we could probably do another podcast on yeah. the so tactics So
1: all of this stuff and you sort of mentioned it uh, in that answer but I think it's worth teasing out and and talking about specifically but is the idea of trust um and the and the idea of building trust um in pursuit of all those things you talked about. So um you just gave some tactics but maybe let's let's take a step back a little bit and talk talk to me about why trust is so important and how sort of conceptually you can start to, to think about how to build okay. more trust.
0: So trust is the foundation of every relationship. I don't care if it's uh, spouse to spouse or teacher to student or employee to, it, you get it. Yep. Trust is the foundation of all relationships. Trust equals love. Including it's the same business, pa- the customer. Yeah, every, yeah, I love that, Patrick. Yeah. Well done. Yes. Um, phenomenal. Um, it is the foundation. It is the goal of every relationship you have is to enhance and solidify trust. Now, a few ways that we can go about th- doing that. The first one is, um, leading by example, mm-hmm. right? And showing that what you talk about is what you, uh, you act the way you talk. It brings right. consistency. The fastest way to break trust is inconsistencies. I tell you one thing, but I do another. Hey, Patrick, want to work out at the 5.30 a.m. class with me tomorrow? I'm going to get up early. Will you come and do that with me? Yeah. And I don't show up. Yeah. What happens? I don't know if I can trust Ben. Yep. Now, you're not saying that out loud, but subconsciously, that's what's going through your mind. Yep. If I do that enough times, you're not going to buy into me enough. Consistency in terms of like when we have a conversation. Am I engaged? Am I looking at you? Do I have body language? The con- like everything. Is there this like are we building trust right now or not? So – um. Consistency and leading by examples are certainly the biggest one, uh, the big ones. Um, but I think even more so is probably, um, uh, and this is like different coaches have different, to me, um, humility, um, and transparency. Mm-hmm. So this is, um, the humility aspect is it should be about them. So what, when you listen to like some high level coaches, one of the, the biggest things is you, the coach should never become bigger than the team. And I, I, when the coach does become bigger than the team, that's when I kind of lose interest and I stop following that coach. Mm, interesting. Um, because it should always be about the team and deflect everything. So, you know, the other way to say that is like, um, when things are going bad, you take it on you. That's humility. It's my fault we're losing. It's my fault you're not seeing results. It's my fault that you um, you were late to work because you didn't understand the standards that we had in place, it's my fault. You take on ownership of everything that's not going well. And when things are going well, it's you and we, and it's all because of them. It's not because of anything we're yeah, so doing.
1: Give credit, take blame. Yeah, exactly. It's exactly <laughs> yeah. what it is.
0: Yeah. Um. If you do that with, this level of transparency behind everything so no hidden motives no room for rumors no room for second guessing everything is out there in the wide open and this is where it comes into like um embracing harsh realities like hey guys we are not where we're supposed to be like you know um someone comes in and you're kind of working with them on a weight loss program and maybe maybe you weigh them every time they come in and they've gained four pounds so you be like, it's okay, like we're gonna do this. Like that's not that's not transparent. Transparent is like something's not going on. Mm-hmm. Like what's what's not working right now? Let's figure this out. And maybe we'll talk, uh, but one of my big things is um what and hows. Mm-hmm. So you don't you never ask why. Why is this not working? Right. Now I'm accusing now, right, exactly. you exactly and now I'm trying to figure out your motives and you're all this like, but what? What, what is not working right now? How can we improve this? What and how, never why? Mm-hmm. If you do that with the levels of transparency, if this is my motives, this is what I'm trying to accomplish, this is my shortcomings as a coach. I don't know that, I don't understand that. Let's try and figure that out together. Like Being aware of your own strengths and weaknesses, being a, like very self-analytical, helps the whole level of raising you up as a coach.
1: Mm-hmm. And so much of that so much of what you're talking about there the sort of the especially the accountability part um is about leadership, right? It's mm-hmm. about um, building a culture um that exemplifies all those things that you just talked about. And we sort of mentioned, you know, back to my original my my earlier question about uh, the individual coach within a within a system where they're not the sort of the head coach yeah, or whatever, right. right? So how do you build a team Um, how do you, how, how do you work to be the kind of leader who builds the type of team who, uh, individually can sort of climb that ladder of, you know, the, the, the degrees of coaching. Okay. I think that
0: there's, um, three components to that and, uh, we'll hit on these individually, but the first one is clarity of vision. Mm. Like, what is it that we're trying to create here? Like, what is it that, what is the end product? What is this thing? So if you're working with an athlete, it's like. Okay, this is what this is going to look like at the finished product, right? Um, if you're working, if I'm creating an organization, this is where we're going. There's a lot of buy-in. There's a lot of, um, that's a huge component of leadership. Clarity of vision. Like this is this is where the bus is going, guys. Yep. Like, are you on board? And when they, they know where the bus is going, suppose like, do they just think we're going around in a circle? It's a. Or big... do they
1: think one person thinks we're going in one way and right. one person's going That's another. even worse, right? Yeah.
0: So a great analogy there is exactly. Imagine like the two of us are going to go into business, and we are both like go getters, highly motivated, super hardworking, very skilled, and like we're we're going to do this thing. But you're, and we're going to we're going to open up a gym together, right? Mm-hmm. And your vision is to open up. Um, you know, 16 locations in three states over the next five years. My vision is one gym, super high level, concierge level, marble countertops, valet parking, you get your nails done there, towel service and dry cleaning, right? Yep. Neither one of those is wrong. Right. But no matter how motivated we are and driven, we're not going to go anywhere. That's not leadership. Even if everything
1: else is lined up.
0: Even if we have the funding, we have the drive, we're not going to achieve much. And if we do achieve it, it's going to take so much more work than it would otherwise. Every single decision is going to be a massive hurdle that we have to come over. The next piece to it is accountability. And I think that this is, for new coaches, this is probably the hardest one. The... The... Role of the coach is to explain and create and uphold standards, Mm. draw lines in the sand and say, this is what we tolerate. And this is what we don't, but it's not really what you talk about. It's what you tolerate. Mm -hmm. So people have standards all over the place. Like, um, we stand for integrity, and we stand for honesty, and we stand for hardworking, and we pursue excellence and attention to details. But when it comes to calling out and attention to detail, they're like, well, I don't want to overcoach, mm. and it's okay, and I want to feel like a burden, and I want to be a bad guy. This that slippery slope between building a relationship and being a leader. This is what you have to do. But you have to create the relationship first, because if you come in here and all of a sudden you're... Yeah,
1: you're drawing all these lines in the sand. Yeah, exactly. Then all of (laughs) a sudden it's like, whoa,
0: dude, Like, who does this guy think he is? But if you establish that I have your best interest at heart and they believe that, then what we can do is uphold standards. And upholding a standard of excellence is the most, I believe, after building trust and relationship, is probably the most important part of coaching. If someone is not meeting expectations, the goal is you have to bring it up. That's You have to call it out. Mm -hmm. Don't let it slide. That is the difference between... Supreme excellence, mediocrity, and total complacency. Mm -hmm. The third one there is establishing a culture. And, uh, to me, that is what we've talked about on this podcast before, but it's, um, knowing what your, your values are, what your priorities are, what your principles are, what you stand for, and again, what you tolerate and what you accept as behavior. It's basically, how do you want people to act within your organization? And again, it's not what you talk about because everyone has core values and mission statements, but they mean nothing. It's about what you tolerate. So, in terms of you know, when I'm working with an athlete, you know, I want my athletes to be mentally tough, and I can talk about mental toughness all I want, but if an athlete comes in and I you know we're doing um, we're doing um, some training and like we're outside getting ready for the games in August. And I'm like, so how are you feeling? They're like, and if their the response is, it's so damn hot.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And you let that slide, you're not instilling mental toughness. That's your opportunity to call it out. They're focusing on something that's outside their control. That by definition is not mental toughness. What we need to do is bring awareness to that and call it out. And your job is just that, mm-hmm. as a coach, is to call out the exceptions when someone is not meeting the standards of excellence you've created that's your job
1: Mm -hmm. so it's to create the vision and then it's to not a lot not or to call out any deviation from that.
0: so that all three of those things between vision accountability and culture there's a lot of overlap between all of them purposefully right so you can't have one, like if you have a vision, but you don't follow up on it or yeah. do anything about it, there's it's no principle. It's, it's, the it's, it's a It's yeah. a hope and it's a dream. It's yeah. a poster. I love that. It, similarly, if you um, are going to um, create this culture, but you're not going to hold people to the standards, like what's that? Mm-hmm. what's that for?
1: Today's episode is brought to you by Noble. I sat down with co-founder Marcus Wilson to talk with him about some of the ways the brand is chasing excellence. There's sort of like an algorithm that I have in my head when I think about brands and companies that are successful. They tend to be built with the right people working on the right idea and working on it at the right time. Why is or was this team the right team? Why was this the right idea? And why is this the right time to be pursuing this idea?
2: All three of those things are super, super relevant for where we are right now. Noble is very much a team. Uh, We're building a team that we are super proud of. Everybody on the team is playing a really important really critical role in what we're doing. The timing of it is super important. You think about just the explosion in social media, the role of athletes and the relationships that we have. You know, when we launched in 2015, it was just ripe for all of those things. And then we came with an idea we think was refreshing to our customer base, you know, not believing in excuses and it just being up to you really has tapped into something powerful.
1: You're expanding incredibly fast. Your team is expanding very fast. How do you guys think about who the right people are? How do you make sure that you're getting the right people in the door so that together you're all moving in the right direction?
2: For us, it's really getting to know people. Whether it's people that we're hiring, the athletes, we have an amazing small team of athletes, and we do that specifically because we want to build a relationship with them. And each one of them, it started with, "Hey, check out our product and let us know what you think." Um, and then we spend a lot of time talking with them and getting to know them. Sam Dancer is a perfect example. You know, we talk with Sam for ages just. getting to know him before we even started talking about a potential deal Um, and so we have a really great relationship uh, with our athletes and on the team it's the same thing uh, from uh, identifying uh, potential candidates interviewing multiple people on the uh, team who are part of the interview process and who are very much empowered to give feedback and really want to make sure that people are the right fit how do you
1: guys make sure that the culture that you're building doesn't suffer for that speed and for that velocity
2: yeah Yeah. First is just leading by example. Um, You know, we have what we call the noble code of conduct. We have a a weekly team meeting where we cover a different code in there. One is we trust you. Another is be bold or don't bother. We talk about the meaning of that and uh, we try to live that every single day ourselves. As a leadership team,
1: how do you guys think about embracing mistakes and making sure that the team here recognizes that mistakes aren't the end of the world; that they're learning opportunities? How do you make sure that that is felt?
2: You know, again, it's it's part of uh, uh, the code of conduct, right? It's gonna we're all gonna make mistakes. The important thing is that we learn from them, we talk about them, and we move on. Part of that is, you know, from the leadership team. Owning our mistakes and not thinking that we're infallible, and that goes a long way. And I think people recognize that when people make mistakes, you know, do not overreact. Because a lot of times people can feel that a mistake is you know is going to end the world. There are not disasters in the business. You know, FEMA deals with disasters and catastrophes. You know, if a shoe doesn't ship on time, you know, it's a problem. We need to look and make sure we understand it, but it is not a disaster. So it's keeping some perspective.
1: If you want to learn more about Noble, you can do so at nobleproject.com slash chasing. Um, one thing that I've heard you say before, uh, and it might be the appropriate time to sort of dive into it, is is the idea of like uh, building a belief system or, or sort of, and maybe another way, and correct me if I'm wrong, but maybe another way to say that is like build a common language um, that you that you can use. With the people who you're sort of leading, or or with your team, so mm-hmm. maybe maybe um, talk to me a little bit about what that means, or that belief system, you know, is, or how to build that.
0: Yeah, actually, before we, um, one of the things just a, a specific to me for the culture thing, yeah. just got I, I like talking it. You know, we're talking this kind of higher level and philosophy, but one of the things that I I think is really powerful if I was to go into. It's one of the the things, it's the first thing that I work with with my athletes on a one-on-one. This is the culture, this is the environment that I'm trying to create. Same thing with my athletes on a whole when I'm working with the the general population. And same thing when I'm managing my team Mm -hmm. is this environment where it's okay to make mistakes. Mm. I want you to work really hard. If you work really hard, we're gonna be at the edges of our learning zone. And by definition, there's going to be mistakes and create that environment where it's, that's super valuable and important to me. And that sounds like, of course, like, okay, like, yeah, reward effort, not talent. We've talked about that before, like, it sounds, but what you see is these little tiny things. Let's say someone in your gym is um, in the early stages of learning how to do a handstand pushup, and they kick up on the wall, and they have this horrific crash. It's really easy to just go like, ha, ha, The second you do that, you are creating an environment where it's not okay to make mistakes. You laughed at someone for trying. Mm -hmm. What you need to do is instead be like, that was phenomenal, I love that. Like obviously we wanna keep people safe, but reward people for getting outside their comfort zones. Mm -hmm. If people try something and it does not work, awesome, phenomenal. Like you gotta create this environment and work so hard where it's about effort, and not, re, not results or skills or what they're already coming to the table with. Mm-hmm. Make people feel good about stretching themselves.
1: What's really interesting about that too is sort of what, you, what you're talking about, that sort of that point is, is actually where and how you get into flow or into a flow state At, is right on the edge of uh, boredom and anxiety, right? So if you want a team that's fully engaged, you need to make sure that they're at that edge, right, where they're not trying things that they're just not ready to do, but also that they're not
0: absolutely completely
1: bored at. So to get a, to get not only to get growth, but also to get like fully engaged. Yeah, they need to be at that place where they're just always teetering on the edge of things that they can't. So again, the, do. the the
0: the job of a coach. This is really important. It sounds like one on one. The job of a coach is to make people better. To get each person under your tutelage love it (laughs) to reach their maximum full potential you have to ring them of every ounce of potential you possibly can if you are creating any sort of hesitancy for them to stretch themselves and try new things you're really hindering their growth yeah okay the second belief system belief system
1: okay that's good though i like that
0: so um here's my take on this is I think it's really important for people to have a really strong self-identifying belief system about themselves, about the organization that they're a part of, and about the leadership that they're under. If they believe that those things are powerful and are gonna take them where they wanna go, it's more likely to do just that. But the opposite is also true, right? If they don't believe in themselves, if they don't believe in the program, if they don't believe in the organization or the leadership, the chances of them re- ringing out every ounce of possibility of potential that they can goes drastically down. It's, like it's almost an impossibility, right? So kind of the way I would think about this is imagine like um, you have a new athlete walking to the gym and we're going to try and get them to reach their full potential. Well, you have your options of focusing on a few different things. You could focus on hope and belief. You could focus on the actions that they're taking. How many times a day are they coming into the gym? Um, are th- What program are they following? Are they following squat program? Are they doing um, bar class, spin, Pilates? You can focus on results. Are they losing weight and getting stronger? Um, um, and let's just keep to those three, right? Mm-hmm. Those are three really kind of powerful ones. What most people focus on of those three things, or um, let's put another one in. You can focus on their potential. Mm -hmm. right? Which is, you know, when someone walks in, you size them up, right? It's a matter of like, Ooh, this was a division one. He's ripped. He's got so much, he's a go-getter. He's got, he's super fast and strong, right? So you have potential, you have action, you have results and you have belief. Well, as a, as a coach, there's a lot of sexiness, a lot of like, a lot you could like pull out of the uh, three of those boxes, Mm -hmm. right? Um, you know, it's really kind of like sexy to analyze the results people are getting and like, okay, let's try to figure out like the, the, the linear progression you're going on. Really the biggest one is like, what's the program you're following on? Okay. Which we should do is get you to do more gymnastics work or more cardio, or we need to get you stronger. Okay. From there, it's like, okay, you just don't have the genetic potential to be able to go to the games. Mm -hmm. Right. That's a thing. Like you're just big boned. You're going to always be 20 pounds overweight it's really easy to overlook the belief in the hope. Mm-hmm. But here's an analogy to drive, with that home, drive that home. There were scientists at University of California, Berkeley, that did an experiment on hope and belief. And what they did was they took a whole bunch, a couple dozen Norwegian field mice, and they put them through a swim test, which is essentially put these mice, these rodents, in a big, huge bathtub, and it's brutal. How long can they swim before they reach total, total exhaustion and drown? And now, these animal instincts, survival, none of these guys are like, "Ah, today's just not my day. Like, I wish I hadn't had a donut for breakfast. I went out too late last night. Like, I'm going to save something for tomorrow. They're going to swim as long as they possibly can. They are going to swim and tread water till they are at their maximum full, the fullest possible potential they possibly can what they found was these mice, and I'm going to get the numbers wrong because I haven't haven't looked at this study in a really long time, but I believe that the mice could swim for about three hours, I think. I think that Norwegian field mice have the capability to swim for three hours before they, and they all drowned. They redid the study with the exact same mice from the exact same family, from the exact same place, all the same stuff. They redid it, except just before that three-hour mark. They took the mice out, for just a few moments and put them back in what they did was gave the mice hope that if they hung on a little bit longer they would be rescued and they'd be saved they gave them this thing that there's like there is something at the end mm-hmm. i can shoot for this and what they found was norwegian milkfield mice can swim for a lot longer than three hours they actually swam for about seven and a half hours twice as long with hope instilled What we should be doing in the culture we're creating and with our coaching is creating a sense of hope for all of our athletes that they can do this. If you do that, they'll stay with you twice as long. Now, if you're a CrossFit coach where you are coaching the best fitness program in the history of the world, nothing has ever delivered better results in terms of general physical preparedness. I'm not talking about max strength or running the mile. I'm talking about general physical preparedness and pushing off the nursing home and general health and wellness. You have the best tools at your disposal. It's the best program ever. If you could get someone to stay with you twice as long, think of the results you could deliver with them, regardless of their potential or anything else. So what we need to do, is instill hope in those athletes. So, what are the tactics that we do that? You make the early stages of learning very exciting, engaging, and rewarding, and you make people feel like they can be good at this. If someone starts off with you and you're gonna teach them how to do a power clean, and you make it really complicated and you get frustrated as a coach, they're gonna see like what the thoughts are through their, going through their head is this is really hard, I don't know if I can do this. This is, but if you make it really simple and reward small little gains as you go, they're gonna to say to themselves, I can do this. And what you could even tell them is like, you can do this, mm-hmm. you got a lot, You you have a lot of potential. You're a quick, and the better thing is do is not necessarily potential because that's a fixed trait. Yep. What I would do is, my favorite one to say, my favorite feedback line always is you're super coachable. Mm-hmm all of a sudden they feel like, oh my gosh, I want to be coachable. Everyone wants to be coachable. And from that, how do you become more coachable? You listen more. Right. It's like, it's the so best just, feedback loop yeah. ever. So if, after you give someone feedback, whether they make the tiniest little gains ever, improvement ever, or they make huge ones, it's like, wow, Patrick, you're super coachable, man. You're awesome to coach. Yeah. And all of a sudden it's like, okay, I can do. Th- the
1: story that they tell themselves. I'm about. coachable. Yeah. It's I'm not coachable. I
0: can or I can't do something. It's I can learn this. Yeah, I can learn how. It's to the learn. Tim Ferriss thing. Like I think it's Tim Ferriss or Billy or whatever. It's like be, uh, tell yourself the story that you're the perpetual learner. Mm-hmm. Like I am the learner. If you can instill that in someone and create that identity in someone, well, it's not about like what I walked in here with. It's no longer potential. It's no longer about the program. Is this right for me or not? It's no longer even about the results. It's I'm a learner and I can grow and develop. That's what everyone really wants, and that's our job as the coach. Mm-hmm. So.
1: I think maybe now is a good time to maybe try to bridge into the because we're sort of touching on it anyways to bridge into the sort of the tactical stuff. Um, one thing that that you said a little bit earlier is sort of um, and and I love the line so maybe remind me of it first is that the idea of sort of establishing the the standards and then not tolerating
0: yeah it's not deviation or it's not about what you talk about it's what you tolerate right
1: love that so talk to me about the 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 sort of the
0: I love just to kind of um. Um, come, um, follow that saying is a great quote. For, I, I, I'm gonna credit Nick Saban. I don't know if he's the first person that said it, but it was, I can't hear what you're saying because your actions speak so loud. Right. It's like it's not what you talk about; yep. it's what you do. Yep. So how do you like? How do you?
1: I I, I want to use the word pressure. How do you pressure somebody into into sort of getting back in line in a way that they don't feel um, I don't know, called out or put on the spot. Yeah. Like, how do you get them when you see that those small deviations or big deviations? Like, how do you get them sort of like, <laughs> the, for some reason, the, the image in my head is just like the sheepdog when the one sheep, you know, jumps out of the the flock oh, and they kind of gets them back in. Like, how do you do that as a coach? That's, that's a such
0: factor? a cool analogy. I love that. So, um, I'm going to steal a, um, a philosophy, a, um, an approach from Danny Myers, who's the creator of um, Union Square Cafe and Gramercy Tavern and Madison, uh, uh, 11 Madison Park. Did
1: they do Shake Shack as well? And Shake Shack, yeah. yeah.
0: So a restaurateur who's um, done a phenomenal job of of creating culture and success Mm -hmm. um, and phenomenal restaurants. Best of New York, uh, Madison, uh, 11 Madison Park got best in the world um, for restaurant. And his management style, leadership style, coaching style, it's all the same thing is constant gentle pressure. Mm. And those three words are really important and meaningful and each one has to be there. It has to be constant, which means um I'm always going to be there to nudge you back. You know, I'm I'm going to Um, if something goes out of the sheepdog, which I, that's a great analogy. I've never heard that. Um, which is the sheepdog doesn't like, okay, today I'm not going to, right. right? It doesn't work that way. Like every day, every hour, every minute, I'm going to be scanning for things that look out of whack. If they're out of whack, I'm going to be constantly bringing back in gentle. I'm not going to make you feel bad about this. Mm -hmm. It's not the goal of the coach is not to make people feel bad. It should be very gentle. Don't let people lose their dignity in the the process. You want to do just the opposite. You're trying to make people create the the feedback loop of, I have your best interest at heart and pressure. It's about standards. Like this is what it's about. We're about getting better. So I'm going to uphold the standard.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, How do you do that uh, in the gym on a regular basis? Like How do you actually go about um, applying that sort of pressure uh, in a way that is... um, Consistent and constant is the word you used. What are the, like, and, and maybe this goes back a little bit to what you were talking about before, which is like you systematize yeah. some things within yep. the gym. And maybe, maybe now is the time to sort of like get into the specifics of running a class or running yeah. a gym. Um, I, I,
0: okay. It depends on the athlete. Mm-hmm. So, constant genital pressure, um, you have to be able to, it's what I call the deeper side of coaching, you have to be able to, and this is what a level four coach will do is they're not coaching the way that they feel like they should be coaching. They're coaching in the best way that's going to affect that athlete. So when you're coaching a class, you're coaching at this huge macro level, right? You're coaching to 10, 15, 30 people. But inside of that class, you for sure need to be able to go and micro in on that one athlete. And that one athlete might love to hear their name yelled across the room about keeping the bar closer in the snatch, right? They might love, he's paying attention to me, he loved, they he yelled my name. Another coach, that might be their worst nightmare. They don't want feedback at all. Mm-hmm. The constant gentle pressure is really athlete dependent. So when I'm working with Katrin, for her, the more feedback, the better. Now, having said that, I, I err on the side of less is more. I feel like if I'm giving constant, constant, constant feedback, I become the train that's always going by your apartment that you, you end up anymore. not hearing anymore. Right. Yeah. I would rather be the person that gives feedback when feedback is really warranted and I'll triage things constantly in my mind. Is this one worth calling out? And I'm gonna wait and wait and wait until I feel like it's the right one and the right moment for her to accept it and her to, um, for us to move the needle going forward. I'm not going to call out everything I see cuz you know as as a coach and a, an entrepreneur you see a, a ton. Yeah. You see everything. It's like Kelly Starrett says, you know, it's like I see broken people. <laughs> like once yeah. you once you like pull back the curtain you're like, "Oh my gosh, I can see what human movement's supposed to look like and I see how you're moving." Like every rep there's three faults mm-hmm. in every single movement. It's like, "Okay, so you have to kind of figure out which ones am I going to call out?" You know, there's a time and a place for like um, the relentlessness, Mm -hmm. right? I think it's really few and far between. You know, relentlessness is like, I'm gonna put my finger, you put your finger on a bug and you watch them squirm. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's the way to go. I think the constant gentle pressure is the way to go. Just like drip, drip, drip. And like, just give the little bits constantly throughout the customer journey. You have these people, Hopefully for a lifetime. I think the fastest way to lose somebody is to overcoach them, to not do constant gentle, but give a fire hose to the face. And the person's now drowning and soaking wet, Especially not having a good time. Infrequent. Yeah, exactly. It's, okay, that's you know. <laughs> a great place, right? Yeah. Imagine if it's inf- imagine the opposite. So it's not constant. Yeah. It's right. infrequent. Yep. It's not gentle. It's harsh, yeah. or it's or it's abrasive, or it's a, it's drenching, and it's not um, pressure. It's make them squirm, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's too much. Yep. So that's what we want to try and avoid all the time. That's one of the reasons, again, it goes back to our tactics, one coach, one um, yeah. class, because now so I don't have know, them yeah. for a long period of time. And if you don't,
1: you don't know if that person wants to be – Call out exactly. across the room, or whisper to exactly, yeah.
0: yeah. So, like some athletes want the whisper, some athletes don't want to be coached at all. So, the athletes that don't want to be coached at all, how do you coach those yeah. athletes? Because <laughs> you need to coach them. Yeah, that's interesting. So you got yeah, to be able to figure just, that out
1: instead of just crossing them off. Like, oh, they don't, they don't want me. They don't want me. So, no, okay, just so makes you drop a little bit harder. Exactly. Yeah,
0: yeah. and there's for sure tactics and <clears throat> ways to do that. Yeah.
1: Um, okay. What about um, what about so so uh, this constant gentle pressure um individuals uh as well as the class How, where do like where did this the skill end of coaching right yeah. or the coaching of skills maybe is a better way to put it. Where does that fit into this conversation?
0: um what's well, it's not just about coach um it matters. it doesn't matter as, uh, to me as much as coaching the person mm-hmm. so there's um two kind of um, there's this thing called transactional coaching and transformational coaching, right? And transactional coaching is all about the skills. It's let you know, it's getting people squat on their heels and yep. drive their knees out and, um, how to do a hook grip and extra rotation of the shoulders and all, all those things. It's the points of performance. It's the skills. Yep. Transformational coaching is improving a person. It's making them a better person. It's what's going to affect them outside the walls of the gym. Mm-hmm. So both of matter, I think it, I, I, um, I think that you can have um, transactional coaching without transformational. But to me, if you're a transformational coach, the transactional is going to happen. Yeah. It's almost like it, it, it can't not, right? So for me, I, I focus first and foremost on transformational coaching. Coach the person, coach the character. Now, when you're coaching that, it's about the big picture. Yes, are they like, are they the, the, the picture of what you want them to embody, so we want to start with this kind of like macro level, like what is, how does a person act that you want them to act like? You don't be you become a champion and then act like the one, you act like a champion and then you become one. So what are the character traits that you feel are integral in a champion? Is it resiliency? Is it toughness? Is it humility? Is it coachability? Is it uh, vulnerability? Is it um, dedication and discipline? Okay, now start to uphold those standards on a micro level and the easiest way to do that is first you know what are they doing in the gym what kind of attention to detail are they doing what are the exceptions the violations of the standards and the easiest one to pull out is what's their talk how are they talking if you can correct i this assume is, out loud right out loud yeah. yeah if you can correct the and we talked about this already it's cold outside it's hot outside like you're okay When someone does that, it's actually, that's a little bit outside our control. What I'm asking you, when I ask you, how's it going? I want you to focus on things that are inside your control. Tell me how you're feeling that are inside your control. I know it's hot. Guess what? It's hot for every single person out here. And you're not gonna be able to change that. Now, could you have been more prepared? Could you have brought water and maybe sat in the fan during your rest period? Okay, that's something we can talk about. But now let's focus on things you have control and listen to people's talk. So to me, coaching, a big part of coaching is this macro and micro approach right. it's yes we want to coach the whole class but then we got to go micro on that individual and spend time one-on-one with them and figure out what moves the needle for that individual in terms of people in character yes it's about developing the the characteristics of a champion but it's micro it's literally What's their body language? Are they dropping their head between their sets? Are they shuffling their feet? Are they have slumped shoulders? Or is their head up, shoulders back, making eye contact with everybody? Mm -hmm. What's their talk? Their talk leads to their self-talk. Their self-talk leads to their actions. Their actions are gonna dictate their performance. So go micro on that as well. To get back to your original question, the skill set. So skills. In terms of that, the movements matter for sure. You want to be able to get your athletes to get five unbroken muscle-ups. You want to be able to snatch their body weight. You want to be able to get, walk on their hands. You want to be able to get them a sub-three-minute Fran. That's great. Those are the macro things, right? Or even more macro would be like, you want them to be healthy. You want them to lose weight. You want them to get off of their medication, whatever it is. That's the macro side of what we're trying to create in terms of skills. You know, But then from there, it's the micro side of things. Okay, if we're trying to get someone better at... Um, a skill. We want to be able to get double unders. Okay. Now we figure out what's the limiting factor. Is it fitness? Is it their engine? Is it their timing or their technique? And you figure out from there, okay, it's not their engine. They can run a, you know, a six minute mile. So it's not that they're not fit enough to do double unders. Okay. It's probably more their timing, their technique. Okay. Is it their lower body or is it their upper body? Okay. It's their lower body. Okay. Is it because they're, piking at the hips? Is it because they're bending, tuck jumping at the knees or donkey kicking behind them? Okay, let's figure out some ways that we can correct that, whether Mm -hmm. it's, you know, and this gets into like, okay, now we figure out the right way to cue the athlete. And for me, there's, not for me, there's three different ways you can cue an athlete, which is visual, verbal, or tactile. Do you tell them, do you show them, do you touch them? And for me, I always think you don't know and maybe you know because you've been with the athlete long enough um but first two things what you're most comfortable with matters a lot because the one you're most comfortable with is the one that will be presented the best mm-hmm. but it's also what they receive best people are either visual tactile or verbal learners so for me the best way to do that is do all three at once mm. tell them move them and show them all together so you know it's like if we want to go external rotation it's like With the shoulders, like, okay, Patrick, what I want you to do is be able to externally rotate your shoulders. Mm -hmm. This is internal. This is external rotation. It looks and feels like this. Okay. And I've told you, I've shown you, and I've moved you. It just kind of like, why not give them all three? If you can do that really quickly, we call this the GPS technique. If you can do this in a, um, the way your GPS would talk to you. What most coaches like to do is like they get armed with all this knowledge and all this, and they like to have this big, long explanation. So we want to externally rotate the shoulders. Cause if we do that, we're setting up just those four little stabilizer muscles in the shoulder, you know, the sit muscles. We what we want to do is get those things to have better, the best possible activation, get the bigger players involved. And if we internally rotate our shoulders, we're really gonna put a lot of, um, stress on, you got the, I don't going yeah. to go the, the whole thing. Yeah. Instead, it's like really a GPS, it's direct, short, and actionable. It is telling you what to do, actually rotate your shoulders. It's telling you um, in a very short, as few words as possible. It's not telling you what not to do. Mm -hmm. What a lot of people do is like, okay, when you're squatting there, you're coming up on your toes. Don't come up on your toes. (laughs) Okay. You haven't told me anything to do yet. Okay. You're squatting, your knees are caving in. We don't want your knees to cave in. Okay, you've yet to tell me what to do. Mm-hmm. Your GPS doesn't go, don't turn left, don't turn left, don't turn left. Mm-hmm. It just tells you one thing to do. We wanna make that as um, poignant and as um, short and powerful as possible. Weight on your heels. Mm-hmm. That's it. squat with your knees out, That's everything. Yeah. If you do that with a verbal, tactile, and um, visual cue, you're, you're doing pretty solid.
1: Uh, two, two things. Uh, one is just a little aside that what you're talking about with the transformation on the transactional coaching, uh, there's a really good book. I don't know if you've read it. I don't remember who, who wrote it, but it's called the coaching habit. Um, and it talks about, it talks about, I have not read it. Um, really good short book. Um, the second thing is maybe the thing that you were popped into my head when you're talking about the, the sort of the cues is I think it was Morgan here at one of your coaches meetings and you've done it a couple of times where, uh, in the coaches meeting sort of, it's a challenge or a game that you guys play where, um the that the morgan will who's one of your coaches here will whisper into the ear of of another one of the coaches who's acting as the as the athlete and say you know only respond to yeah. verbal cues right? right and then okay ben it's your turn and you're given uh, and the athlete's given you know is moving poorly in some in some way and your job you know in the game is to uh figure out the right way to cue that individual yes uh, in a way that you know, obviously it's artificial, but in a way that they theoretically respond yep. to. Um,
0: so th- that's actually that exercise is how I found this shortcut. Awesome. So this short, so so what people would do in this game and what we do in that game, and we actually, it's on the computer, we'd play this um, like Wheel of Fortune type thing. You hit the space bar and this wheel spins and it lands on sumo develop high pull or it will land on overhead squat or it will land on um, push press. Mm-hmm. And, and then the, that... Athlete does the push press with a fault that we've predetermined. Yep. Um, but the coach doesn't know what it is. So the coach yep. has to identify it and then cue it. Right. And the game was who can fix people the fastest. Right. So what people would do is they would go, okay, here's the visual one, and yeah. they would say, and
1: they just cycle through, and they cycle through yeah.
0: it. Yeah. And what I figured out was I just do all three at once. It was like a that's the hack. three second. Yeah. yeah it's a hack. It's a three second fix. Yeah. Well, it's not for the game. That's real life. Yeah. You're hacking it like. Why would we not just use that in real life? Just give people all three at once. And the interesting thing about that is that doing that and being, getting good at that is what allows you to do
1: that 30 times in the class with 30 different athletes. Yeah. Cause the thing you were talking about with like the externally rotated, sh- you know, shoulders, you can do that once it's going to take you two minutes You can't do that to everybody. You can't hit everybody. You can't do that micro while you're also doing the macro. So it's sort of like, it's just another tactic in order to be able to do that.
0: Yeah, exactly. So um, one thing again with that micro macro is it's, um, we talked about like, I don't want it to look like, I don't want people to have this vision of a funnel, right? Which is we start macro and then we go really down. It should be more like um, a seesaw or like a game of tennis. where you are going macro, micro, Mm. macro, micro. If you're coaching a class, It's not about like coach the whole class and then start to work with individual athletes. You got to come back to the whole class again and you go to another athlete. You coach to the whole class again and back to another athlete. If you can do that well, if you're a seasoned coach, the, the class doesn't even know you're doing it. Everybody feels like you're micro constantly on them and that you're constantly macro and everyone is on flow and moving the way that they're supposed to. Same thing with like the character development stuff, right? It's not like, okay, this is what we want a champion to look like. Now I'm just going to listen to what you talk about. Right? It's like, you no, know, you come back to it. And what do yeah. I want a champion to look like? Are you filling that bill? And now I'm going to. It's kind of like always back and forth. Okay.
1: So last thing, um, and it'll be the last thing because my computer is going to die soon. So I don't, <laughs> don't want to lose it. Um, it's something that I've heard. And then oh. The lights just crashed down.
0: Now people know we have a light. People didn't know oh we had a light.
1: God, then the camera fell. <laughs> so embarrassing. If you're
0: watching. This is this is the. Uh,
1: I'm not even going to worry about the light because it's only going to be a couple minutes.
0: So it's something people
1: listening are like, what the hell are they talking about? Um, Something that I've heard that I, that I heard you say, I haven't heard it before. um, And I really liked it, which is because it's sort of a take on something I had heard, which is that programming is the science and adjustments are the art.
0: Is that that accurate? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, So talk a little bit about that.
1: um, Because we've heard
0: before, like programming is the science. Yeah. uh, Science is in the programming um the art is in the adjustments. I going to fix the that. Yeah, talk. please. So the kind of idea behind that is there's all sorts of um you know, the program matters for sure. Like if you're trying to get in shape, well I can feel pretty confident that doing CrossFit is going to um, help you along that path better than doing like bar class. Like I I just feel really confident about that. Yep. So that's the that's the program, right? And then from there we dial in the CrossFit program. Like Okay, you want to compete, so let's figure out your strengths and weaknesses. We analyze your strengths and weaknesses. Okay, inside of strength and weakness. Is it about, um, is it a neurological adaptation, uh, uh, abnormality, or is it a deficiency in, um, um, uh, did I say organic? And then mm-hmm. neurological, those yes. are the two sides, sure. so I don't know which I said first. Um, and anyway, from there, we figure out the best training program to go through that. That's the science, like right, that's the science. Yeah. But the art is in the adjustments. There is no one best program for everybody, period. Just like there is no one best nutrition program for everybody. That's why if you're searching for it, it doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. We are all individual snowflakes. And the way you respond to a training program is going to be very different than the way I respond to one. You could take two twins, and they've done this, bring them with the exact same upbringing and with the same DNA, same opportunities, same communication. They're going to respond to things in very different ways. What you need to do is be able to adjust things on the fly, be able to adjust it appropriately. And to me, the the best way to do that is just with the feedback loop of coach-athlete. And it's, it comes back to the relationship. If you are coaching people from afar, it's not gonna be as optimal as you're coaching people really close. If you see people once a week, it's not gonna be as optimal if you see people six times a week. If you see people for an hour a day, it's not gonna be as optimal as you see people for three hours a day. It's just like the stronger the relationship, the more I understand the motives and the triggers and the buttons that move Patrick forward, the better I can do of adjusting things. Mm -hmm. Everything from your body language to the way that you recover, to the way you talk, to the way that you move to, uh, you know, everything is a feedback loop that I'm trying to then adjust things appropriately. So that's where the art comes in. That's where, you know, coaching is equal part art and science because you can't have just art without a great program. You know, you need the program as the foundation. You know, it's kind of like building a house. Like you need the foundation. You need the frame. And if you're going to, you know, are you building a a 5,000 square foot house or a 8,000 square foot house? Is it going to be three stories or is it going to be a ranch? You know, is it going to be, you know, you need that. That matters a lot. But then everything else Everything inside is art, right. That's interior design. Mm-hmm. And both of those make up the house. Let
1: us leave it there. Thank you. Thanks, Pat. Thank you once again to today's sponsor, Noble. Visit nobleproject.com slash chasing to sign up for early access to new products. You can get every episode of Chasing Excellence wherever you listen to your podcasts or on YouTube. Until next time.